could return to your seats and open your Bibles to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. If you're new and visiting, we use the ESV translation if you're using it on your phone. If you'd like a paper Bible so you can read along, you can just put your hand up and someone will come and give you a Bible. If you'd like a title for today's message, I'm going with verse 4, let the nations be glad. Let me read to you God's holy and inspired word, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching and the applying of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us for some time, you may have noticed we sing a song called Let the Nations Be Glad. It's a great stirring song by Matt Papa and Matt Boswell. And in that song, in the chorus, it says, Let the nations be glad. Let the peoples rejoice. For salvation belongs to our God. Let the whole earth be filled with the praises of the Lord. For salvation belongs to our God. Let the nations be glad. But inherent in this psalm and this song and in this weekend in Australia is a tension. A tension that we can feel keenly as we celebrate Australia Day. We want the gospel to advance to all people, but so often this advance has been mixed with bloodshed, violence, and tyranny. Indeed, our modern Australian history is marked by this story. Is it good for the gospel to advance? What about the cultures and ethnicities it meets with along the way? What about their customs, their ideals, their cultures and their ways of life? But on the other side, if the gospel doesn't advance, then the nations do not know of Christ and the way of life and salvation and eternal hope. What we're going to see is that through Psalm 67, that despite the evils that may come and have accompanied gospel expansion, evils that should be repented of and rejected, gospel expansion to all peoples is the greatest possible act of love and charity. One pastor in summarizing this sermon said it like this, I think it's very fitting as a way of summarizing this entire psalm. The hope of this psalm is that divine blessing would come down upon us so that liberating joy would go out to the world. That divine blessing would come down upon us so that liberating 
liberating joy would go out to the world. And that's the solution to the tension. The offer of the gospel to the world is not about colonial powers advancing or white culture taking over. It's about the liberating power of knowing God himself. And that's why the nations ought to be glad. To study this passage today, I've got three points to help us see how this all works together and how this ancient prayer of the Israelites applies to us. Firstly, point number one, the hope of Psalm 61. The hope of Psalm 61. In this point, I want to briefly walk us through the psalm so we can see its message for all or for the people of Israel. Then in point two, we'll see how it kind of comes together. And then in point three, we'll apply it. This psalm is likely a celebration psalm, potentially sung at harvest time. You can see that from verse six, this celebration that the harvest has come in, the grain has abounded. It's structured into three stanzas, verse one and two go together, verse three and five, and then verse six and seven. But it's also structured as, uh, this is a literary term, a chiasm. Um, And basically that means that the, the verses are mirrored in repeat order. So verse one and verse six go together, verse two and verse seven, verse three and verse five, and then the middle verse, verse four, stands on its own, not repeated, and it becomes the central thrust of the entire psalm. I wanna walk us through that. You don't need to know all those details, but I think it can help to see the structure before we jump in. Let's look at verse one and verse six and seven and, and see the message of the psalm as we walk through. The psalmist says and prays this hope, this prayer, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Verse six and seven A, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. It's a powerful invocation and plea to God to rain down his divine blessing and shower his goodness upon the people of Israel. Who doesn't want to pray a prayer like this? This is an easy prayer to pray. God, bless us. Pour out your favor upon us. It's an easy prayer to pray. And it's in fact, it's a biblical prayer. It's not a selfish prayer. It's a prayer that actually follows what was called or is called the Aaronic blessing. Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first priest of Israel. And God gave him this blessing to say over the people of Israel, which is mirrored in verse one. Look at Numbers chapter six, 24 to 26. Aaron says to the people of Israel, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Remember, he's saying that to a sinful, wayward, rebellious Israel who have walked away from him so many times, even after they were liberated so miraculously from Egypt, they turned so many times, yet our God is a God who leans forward, ready to bless his covenant people. Isn't he so merciful and gracious? To bless is to show his covenant favor to his people. He has promised to bless his people, to protect them, to keep them, and to provide for them. But better than the material blessings that we might think of when we say, God bless us, that phrase, make his face shine upon you, 
is actually a phrase which means to have face-to-face relationship with God, unhindered by sin, unhindered by division, to actually be in a proper relationship with God. And that is the highest of all blessings. If you know God, the source of all that is good, the source of all that is righteous, the source of all that is pleasant and thrilling. To know him face to face is to be in the path of the greatest blessing. And that's what they're calling down from God. You can tell a lot about someone by their face, can't you? We, you may have heard the term RBF, uh, arresting board face, or another B word you might use. You can see someone's face and you might think, oh, they're, they're angry toward me. But this is a prayer asking for for God's generous, lovely, graceful, kind face to be directed and looking upon Israel. And they see this incredible harvest at the end and they, they say God has blessed us and they filled with confidence that God will bless us. And this is true for us in Christ today. The same God of the people of Israel is the God of the people of Christ the church. And so we can pray this prayer. This is our prayer. We can call upon God to bless us and we can walk forward in confidence knowing that God will bless us. Perhaps not with material and circumstantial blessings that we so deeply desire. I know too many stories in this room to know that that's not what this promise is. Not now anyway. But what God will give us through Christ is his face in favor toward you and I. And as amazing as this is, it's not actually the point of this psalm. That's the prelude. Verse 1 and verse 6, but now we zone into verse 2 and verse 7. Let's look at them. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Verse 2, that, purpose clause, Your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. The earth, verse 6, has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Do you see the mirroring? Do you see the purpose? The point, the hope of this psalm is that divine blessing would come down upon us so that liberating joy would go out to the world. This is a hope, a prayer of hope and expectation that God's blessing, favor, and protection on Israel would result in all nations, peoples, tongues, and tribes coming to know and love Yahweh like they do. You see, Israel was meant to be like a centrifugal force drawing the nations to themselves. They were meant to live in obedience to the law and God promised in Deuteronomy 28 that he will shower blessing upon them and their their wine will abound, their grain will abound, their, their health will abound. Everything will go well for them if they would just follow his ways and as a result, all the nations of the earth would be drawn in. Would you not be drawn in? Like people over the histories have been drawn to wealthy and prosperous nations. We would be drawn, they would be drawn to Israel and say, your God is the God. Your God is the God I want to align with. I'm leaving these gods. I'm going to Yahweh. That's the hope. Sadly, it's not the story of Israel, but it's always been the hope. 
we find the Pharisees in the New Testament always trying to cut between Jew and Gentile and separate the two. But in verse 1, we saw the Aaronic blessing. Verse 2 is actually a picking up of the Abrahamic blessing. Joel prayed it earlier. You see, verse 2 harkens back to Genesis chapter 12 when God met a wandering pilgrim, pagan idolater called Abram late in life. And God met him, and out of the blue, he says to him, Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that's kind of verse 1. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the point of Israel, that they would be the centrifugal force, that through this one family, then all the earth would be blessed. Like moths to a flame in a positive sense. I don't know, what happened? Did moths go into flames and burn up? Maybe not. Anyway, moths to a flame, they'd be drawn. But sadly, Israel either hated the nations and cut them off or loved them too much and became just like them. And as a result, Israel never really lived up to this. And as a result, the nations were never really blessed through Israel. There was the heyday of David and Solomon, but so quickly they were plundered and divided. Yet God's purposes in election must stand. And even though Israel had dropped the ball so many times, God had always ensured that there would be a mixed multitude of Israel. If you go back to Abraham had, you know, Abraham had Isaac who had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was Joseph. Joseph was enslaved by his own brother, sent to Egypt. When he was in Egypt, he married an Egyptian, not an Israelite. Two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, two of the tribes of Israel. Fast forward, you get to Moses, the great deliverer of God's people. Who does he marry? Zipporah, a Midianite. And then who does he marry? I forget her name, but a Cushite, a non-Israelite lady. You get to the conquest of the promised land. Who do they save? But Rahab the prostitute, a Canaanite. And they get folded into God's people. You get to the time of the judges. Who do we meet? We meet Naomi, whose husband takes them out of Israel to Moab. Her daughters marry Two Moabite women. One Moabite woman says to Naomi after her husband dies, and Naomi says, you should go back to your people. She says to Naomi, Ruth says to Naomi, your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Now Ruth marries and then has Obed, and Obed fathers Jesse, and Jesse, who does he father? David. King David. So King David is linked to a Moabites. Hardly the pure one line. But you see in all this that God's purpose in election that all the nations of the earth should be blessed through this one man is coming to pass. And the result of this salvation for all nations is not mild indifference. These nations, as they come to God, they're not meant to just transfer from one idol to the next, like we're going from one center 
party to the next center party and we rebrand everything, but actually all the policies are the same. That's not what is meant to happen. Verse three and five reveal what's meant to happen when these nations finally encounter the one true and living God. And perhaps you remember the time you first encountered the one true living God for yourself. And maybe these verses represented what it was like for you to meet Jesus Christ. Let the peoples praise you, O God, verse three. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the center verse, verse four, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. And then verse five repeats verse three. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see the poetic point. These nations are getting not colonized, they're getting caught up in the wonder and the grandeur of the being of the one true living God. And they meet a God who is righteous and always does what is good. They meet a God who is holy, yet gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As they come to know Yahweh, they're liberated from their idols They're liberated from fake healers and shamans and uh, gurus and pagan religions and child sacrifice and demonic priests and voodoo and all that goes along with pagan religion. Or in modern day Australia, they're liberated from godless secularism, which has no ultimate hope and makes everything about now. And the result? They love it. They love it. The nations are to be glad because finally they've come home. So the point of this psalm is that divine blessing would come down upon us so that liberating joy would go out to the world. That leads us to point two, though, because this was never fully fulfilled in Israel's history. Point one, the hope of Psalm 61. Point two, the fulfillment of Psalm 67 the fulfillment of Psalm 67. You see, it wasn't until Jesus Christ came into the world that this psalm was fulfilled. Jesus, we're told in Matthew and Luke's gospel, his genealogy is of a mixed heritage. Ruth's in there, Rahab is in there. Jesus Christ, born a refugee at birth, fled to Egypt for two years, living in a Gentile pagan nation. Jesus Christ, who grew up to love the outcasts and the ethnically mixed, who heals Roman centurions, the occupying force in Israel, who meets with bad Samaritan women at wells, who tells stories about good Samaritans and how they're the heroes, and he heals Syrophoenician women's daughters. And though Jesus, the blessed one, was born to rule Israel, his own people rejected him betrayed him and handed him over to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to the Romans for his execution. And Pontius Pilate washed his hands of his blood, but sent him to be executed by crucifixion, the most heinous, shameful way anyone could die. And on that cross, That dark, dark day, as literally the clouds covered the sun and at noon it was like night. 
this psalm was fulfilled. You see, this psalm calls for God's face to shine upon Israel. And oh, it shone upon Christ at his birth. And oh, it shone upon Christ at his baptism. And oh, it shone upon Christ at his transfiguration. But on the cross, his face no longer shone upon his son. And the darkness of the sky mirrored the darkness of heaven. And Christ calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on that cross, as we know, He was forsaken. The face of God did not shine upon him in graciousness, but in divine judgment for the sin of Israel and the sin of all who would put their faith in Christ. And on that cross, Jesus made the blood guilt payment for all those sins so that Any and all from any tribe and nation, no matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, you follow the code or you don't, all who come to Christ can have all their sins forgiven forever with no citizenship test, no bargaining power to get in, no crazy skills acquisition, no way of where you're gonna get booted out. It's in, you are in if you are in Christ Jesus, secure. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is what happened on the cross. For our sake, he, that is God, made him, that is Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And because of this perfect offering and sacrifice, God's face then did shine upon Christ when he lay in that grave on the third day and his face of favour was turned back on Christ and he vindicated Christ's perfect life and rose him from the dead to bring new and everlasting life to all who would come to Christ. And they resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ so that Christ could now rule over all the nations and all the peoples through the proclamation of the gospel and the establishment of the church. And so we see that the psalm is only fully fulfilled when the story gets to Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 to 12 tells us how this comes together. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, and this has been prophesied all the way through, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his, what? Riches on all who come, all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the glorious fulfillment that the psalmist would have had no idea that this is what he was praying for. Israel, as they gloriously triumphed over a great harvest. When they prayed, oh, let the nations be glad, had no idea how that would happen. But it's happened through this one man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. 
In Galatians 3, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that is us by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So through faith in Christ, we join Israel and become part of true Israel. We are sons and daughters of Abraham, and we are the fulfillment of all the nations being blessed. When Jesus was resurrected, he then gathered his disciples after 40 days, and what did he commission them to do? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And behold, and teach them all that I've commanded you. And behold, I will be with you to the ends of the age. And then as he ascended into heaven, he said, wait, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I know we know this, but we've got to remember that this happened. This is only happening. We only exist because of God's gracious, eternal plan to call a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And that he would choose before all time to elect sinners like you and I in Parramatta, a people unknown to the people of Israel at that time. Jesus said, a parable that someone asked him, what will the kingdom of heaven be like? Think kingdom, nation. What will be the sovereign rule? What's your kingdom gonna be like, King Jesus? Jesus said, well, the kingdom of God, what will it be like? To what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, tiny, that a man took and sowed in the garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Have a look around. The little birds in the mustard tree, in our little expression. (laughs) We are that fulfillment. We enjoy the answer of this prayer. Your name is written in Psalm 67. Let all the nations be glad. And don't we have even a more beautiful taste of that because of all the nations we have here? I tried to list just some of them and some of the descents we have, and I've probably missed a few. Sorry if I have, but we've got Australian, English, Chinese, Filipino, Polish, Egyptian, Sri Lankan, Indian, Korean, South African, Italian, Dutch, represent, Canadian, Persian, Venezuelan, Argentinian, and even some New Zealanders in the house. We permit them. This is the Lord's doing. Scottish. Who else? What have I missed? Yell it out if I've missed one. Thai. This is your last chance to represent your nation. Cambodia, my brother, I forgot you, I'm sorry. Indonesian, Malaysian, I need to update my list. (laughs) This is good. So we see that the fulfillment of this psalm is that divine blessing would come down upon us, first upon Jesus, true Israel. 
And then, as God makes his face shine upon his covenant people through faith in Jesus Christ, liberating joy would spread to all the ends of the earth. So we've seen the hope, we've seen the fulfillment of Psalm 67. Now I want to look, point three, the application. How do we, what do we do with a psalm and a prayer like this for us today? I've got five points and they all begin with E. So Richie had one application. I'm going to give you five. So there you go. (laughs) You'll remember his, you'll forget all of mine. Number one is entreat God's blessing. Entreat, that means to ask, to, to plead. This psalm teaches us it is right and good to ask God to bless us, to ask him to shower his favor upon his true Israel, now the church. So when they were calling for God to bless Israel, we can still pray that because we are true Israel. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And so we can pray, God, bless us, bless us, bless us. But that leads to point two. So that was a very quick one. Entreat God's blessing. Point two, evangelize all ethnicities. We pray that God would bless us, not so that his blessings would terminate on us and we would just have better coffee, more food, bigger building, uh, greater life groups but actually so that we can then be the conduit, that we can then be spreading out in our city and abroad globally, cross-culturally, cross-language, cross-gender, cross-age, so that the nations would be glad. Friends, we must apply Psalm 67 by taking the actual words of the gospel, like Romans 10, 9, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved to people that haven't yet heard the message. We've received the joy of Jesus. Now it's our glad delight to share it with others. And that's the point of this psalm is that we would call upon God's favor so that we'd go out. So we should be praying, God bless Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta so that we can be a blessing to those around us. Fill our church so that we can spread. Raise up more pastors, raise up more leaders, raise up more missionaries, raise up people with a heart to go abroad, raise up with the people with a heart to stay and reach out to the people that came from abroad. Bless this church with unity. Bless this church with protection. Bless this church with power. Bless this church with money. Bless this church with all things so that we would be a blessing to others. There's 128 cultures and ethnicities in the city of Parramatta. One-fifth of people are from Chinese background. 27% from English-Australian background. 11% from Indian. 6% from Korean three or 4% from Lebanese, and the list goes on and on and on. We have 72, as in 7-2, not percent, Albanians. There are 27 Native Americans that live in Parramatta City Council. And the smallest people group represented, Congolese. There are 17 Congolese people. We have plenty of opportunity for mission all around us. And so go. Share the good news. Share the blessing that has been poured upon you with those who don't yet know. And let's think globally too. As we've already shared, we are a global family of churches and we love to support financially and with our bodies the global work that we're doing. 
Perhaps God is going to call you to be a teacher in another country, a nurse in another country, an engineer in another country, a salesperson in another country to support church planting work. Perhaps God will raise some of us up to plant churches in other countries or live in other parts of the world. And I am all for that and cannot wait to see more and more of that happen. We sent one, Abby. I mean, she went to North America, but it's still (laughs) crossing waters. It's a long way. And she is being blessed and used by the Lord overseas. Perhaps the Lord may call you to the Philippines with Jeffrey Joe or to Turkey, and I can't mention their names or Ethiopia with Mike and Josh, to the new church plant in Namibia with Josh Kruger, or to Italy with Ed Amara. I'm sure some would take up their cross. I'm actually going there in June, so I'll let you know what it's like. And the list goes on. Bolivia, Brazil, India, Sierra Leone, Zambia. I want us to be a sending church. I want us to have a heart. We already do have a heart, but increase boots on the ground in other countries. We're going to need funds to do that. We're going to need people to give above and beyond, to invest in the nations. And I call you to it. So that's two. I'm going to quickly go through. So first one was entreat God's blessing. Second one was evangelize all ethnicities. Thirdly, importantly, eliminate ethnic division. We read Ephesians 2, 11 to 22 in our our exhortation. There is absolutely... No place for racial hatred, pride, prejudice, or division for anyone who names the name of Christ. And all too sadly, the church of Jesus Christ in all cultures, not just white cultures, has participated in racism of all forms. The Rwandan genocide was 92% evangelical Christian. Let that sink in. For each one of us, it's our personal responsibility to confess and repent of any racial prejudice, any looking down on anyone else of any culture, or looking up in anger and bitterness and envy, whichever way it goes. But the blood of Jesus Christ has broken down every wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and between Gentile and Gentile, so that we would be one in Christ Jesus. Perhaps this is an opportunity for you to repent of any low-level or high-level racism that lurks darkly within you. Within all of us is a temptation. Number four, enjoy ethnic diversity, which we are going to do very soon. The gospel doesn't obliterate culture. The gospel maintains people's backgrounds, but unites us centrally in one man, Jesus Christ. He's our king. That's our nation. And all of our other cultures come below, but that doesn't mean we have to remove them. In in fact, the Bible maintains them. The picture in heaven, or in Revelation 7, paints this picture. John sees this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And what are they doing though? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. 
If you've got your Bible open, look at verse 2 of Psalm 67. Your saving power among all nations. What do they cry out? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the picture of heaven. There's enough difference that John knows that there's all different types of people there. The gospel went forth and an Ethiopian was saved and then the Romans were saved and then Ephesians and Thessalonians and then it went out to India and it went all around the world. And there'll be some of that still in heaven. And so we can still enjoy our ethnic diversities without making it our identity or our idol or our pride. And number five, engage in prayer for the nations. This is a prayer, Psalm 67. And so the final way we ought to apply this psalm is by praying this prayer that God would bless us so that his saving power would be known, that God would rain his favor down on us so that liberating joy would go to all the nations, that all the nations would be glad, that they would know that there's a righteous, good, merciful, and just God who welcomes them through Jesus Christ. And through him alone. We have a global missions prayer letter. You can sign up to it once a month. and gives you all the updates of what's happening. I love that newsletter. And I love praying through it. We're going to be starting monthly prayer meetings as a church. They're not for the super spiritual. They're for the weak, like myself, who desperately needs to pray with other people because I struggle to pray on my own so badly. I'm a pastor, I'm admitting it. I pray way better when I'm in public than I do in private. But I love those prayer gatherings because it helps me to focus my prayers. So come to the prayer gatherings so that God would rain down his favor on us and send his joy abroad. I want us to close our sermon time together by actually gathering in little small groups. We still will sing our last song, kids will go late, sorry kids. Um, but we're going to gather in small groups and put this verse into practice right now and pray. Pray for your cultural background or any nation that's on your heart, or you visited or you've been a missionary, done work there. But I want us to take a moment now to pray God's blessing on us and God's favor for the nations as they come to Christ. If you're new and visiting and not used to prayer, that's okay. You don't need to pray. Just watch other people pray and sit there. Um, someone around you will lead the time and make it work. Um, so I'm going to leave you three to four minutes to pray and then I'll bring us together and the band will close and we're going to sing one last song. We're going to sing in Tagalog, Filipino. Um, and so let's pray together now though. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that through Jesus Christ, your only son, you have brought all peoples, nations, tongues and tribes into the position where they can call upon your name and be saved. Be liberated from false gods and false worship and come and know you. Our Lord, we love you. Oh, we name you as our one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name and for his glory, you would bless us, make your face shine upon us, keep us and protect us as a church so that your saving power may be known to the ends of the earth. And through us, may all the nations be glad. Lord, would we sing for joy? 
Would we as a church be blessed so that we would be a blessing? Strengthen us with power to take up the message of the gospel and fulfill the great commission to make your name known to the ends of the earth, baptizing and teaching so that we can have even more brothers and sisters from all places singing and enjoying and rejoicing in you and you alone. And so to you, we lift up all the glory, honor, and praise for your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.